I'd invite you to remain standing for a reading from Scripture. It comes to us today from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There is absolutely no truth to the rumor that I lost my voice yesterday screaming at the TV while Duke was losing the basketball game. But I will say, growing up, I remember some pretty aggravating times watching TV, and that was when the screen would grow blank, and like uh, a symbol would come on, and you'd hear beeping, and it would say, this is a test. This is only a test. For the next 60 seconds, we'll be conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting network. And that was the most annoying announcement. And yet, it provided a useful service. It told me that there really was nothing wrong with the picture I was seeing. There really was nothing wrong with what I was experiencing on the screen. I thought about that when I thought about Abraham today. How Abraham would have liked to hear, this is a test. This is only a test before God says to him, take your son, your one and only son whom you love and take him up to the top of the mountain and offer him there as a sacrifice to me. But the thing that we know is that Abraham got no clue about this test. We are told that as readers, but he never knows. It's an amazing story. How difficult that must have been for Abraham without a clue as to what was going to happen or why to take his son, the son for whom he waited almost 100 years and had raised now and to take him and offer him. How hard that must have been for him to think of a God he loved demanding child sacrifice. Apparently it was hard for Sarah too. The beginning of the next chapter, chapter 22, Sarah dies. 
in the rabbinical commentary called the <clears throat> Midrash, says that what happened is when Isaac and Abraham got home and Isaac said, Mom, you'll never guess what happened, that when she heard what God had demanded, that it just overwhelmed her and she died of a heart attack. Don't know if that's true, but how hard it must have been. And yet it's also hard for us. I can't tell you how many times people have said, Pastor, can you explain this story? And the answer is, no, I really can't. Why would God ask? Why would God demand a sacrifice of a child? thought a lot of ink has been spilled over the years discussing that topic. I thought I'd share with you a few things that I have heard about that. First one is this. When I was in school, what they taught us was that this was God's way of teaching Abraham and the Israelites that they were not to offer their children as sacrifice on top of high mountains because that's what the Canaanites did. If you read the Bible closely, uh, a couple books later, there's a story about Moab being in battle and the king of Moab so desperately wants to win the battle that he takes his oldest, his firstborn son, and sacrifices him to his God. And, and Israel was told not to do that. And perhaps that's true, that that's why this story was told. But if, I wonder, because child sacrifice, though known in the Holy Land, uh, was not really a part of Israel. And uh, animal sacrifice had already been introduced long before this into other cultures. So it's still, we're still left with why would God make that kind of demand? Now, more recently, a German scholar, some years later, wrote this. He said, what's going on here is God is testing Abraham to see if Abraham understands that his child is really a gift from God. When we first met Abraham six weeks ago, in chapter 12, you remember Abraham was childless, which basically meant he had no future. And out of the blue, God promises him a child. And it's out of the blue. Abraham didn't do anything to deserve this. It was pure and simple a gift. And so what this scholar from Germany, Gerhard von Rad, was saying was that Abraham's being reminded now, even after years of faithfulness, that this child is still a gift. Uh, maybe uh, that helps some people. Some of you may remember the late John Claypool, who uh, pastored for a while at Christ Episcopal. When John Claypool was a younger man, he uh, lost his 10-year-old daughter to leukemia. And during the struggle while she had leukemia, and then in the months after her death, he said the only scripture that really provided him any help was Genesis 22, 1 through 14, because it said it reminded him that his daughter, for how little a time he had her, was still a gift. And he would be uh, healthiest to always remember as a gift, and whatever time they had together uh, was all grace, nothing that he had earned. So it helped him in some ways. More recently, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Donna gave me a book by Eugene Peterson. And his theory about this amazing story is this, that what God is testing of Abraham is to see if Abraham understands who's God and who's not, who's in control and who's not, who is supposed to be serving whom. He said that one of the things that we're tempted to do as people of God is to use God for our own purposes. And uh, so Abraham here is taught that God is not going to serve Abraham's purposes, but that Abraham is supposed to respond to God's purposes. That makes some sense to me because I certainly know in my prayer life I'm always asking God for this or for that or bless this person, but hey, get even in revenge on this other person. I'm always asking God, um, yeah, be careful. Um, always asking God for stuff where God serves me. And here, of course, the ultimate thing is that God says to Abraham, you will serve me. Those are some different explanations, but I'll be honest. I really don't know. But here's what I do know. This fascinates me. Abraham never asked for an explanation. 
When God says, take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, and give him to me. Give up your future for whom you have waited so long. He doesn't say, what or why or how could that be? He says, here I am. And he starts up the mountain. Interestingly, we seem to be the people who need explanation. And yet Abraham just hears God and his reflexes to obey. If you look at the story of Abraham, often God calls him to leave or let go. God calls him to leave Ur and Haran, and he does it. God calls him to leave Gerar in Egypt, and he does it. God tells him to leave Shechem and Bethel, and he does it. And in chapter 21, God asks him to leave Beersheba, and he does it. Now, that may not sound very significant. Abraham is a desert man who will live his life in the desert. And uh, Beersheba is about as good as it gets in the desert. It's like if you've got to live in the desert, you might as well live in Phoenix. And so there he is in Phoenix, and God says, uh-uh, further out into the desert. And he leaves, and he does it. God called him, apparently, to leave the best part of the Holy Land to Lot, and he did it. God called him to let go of Ishmael and Hagar and let them journey off in the desert for God to take care of them, and Abraham does it. God is always calling Abraham to let go, and Abraham is always doing it. But I think what Abraham is finding is that the more he lets go of, the lighter his life becomes, the deeper and richer it becomes as well. And so what really amazes me about this story is not that it happened. What amazes me is that I sit there and have to scratch my head over it, and Abraham never bothers to scratch his head. It leads me to a couple of questions I have for you this morning. The first one is this. Is it possible that in the life and journey of faith, in the life and journey of faith, obedience is more important than understanding? Is it possible that having an explanation for why God wants us to do certain things is less important than just doing what God has called us to do, whether we completely understand it at the time or not. David But, uh, rather, uh, George Buttrick years ago made this observation that essentially life is a series of events to be lived through, not a series of riddles and puzzles to be solved. And went on to say this, that you can put off making up your mind about things, but you can't put off living your life. And so the biblical faith calls us to, to obey first, ask questions later. And so it is in obedience, Abraham will go forward. Jesus asked the same thing. He came to the disciples and said, come follow me. And they didn't know what following him would be like. They had no idea where they were going and they would not know unless they followed. And so they did. It could be, I'm wondering that in the life of faith, it's more important to obey than to understand. I don't know why God calls me to love my enemies completely, but God calls me to do it. I don't know why God calls on me to give away 10% of my income. God calls me to do it. I don't know why God calls me to pray without ceasing, but God calls me to do it. And even if I don't understand, I do it anyway. Second question it raises for me is this. What if? What if understanding only comes after obedience? That you never know that the ram is at the top of the mountain unless you climb that mountain. You never know how God is going to work out the situation in your life unless you do what God has asked you to do. Could it be that it is always the understanding that comes following obedience? <clears throat> I believe that the most disbelieved Bible verse is this one. In Isaiah 55, God says, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. 
But most of us believe, no, God's pretty much like we are. God pretty much wants what we want. God pretty much sees things the way we see them. And so oftentimes we don't understand why we're being asked. And I think the biblical promise is, if you will just do it, the understanding will follow later. And so it is that Abraham comes to understand that the God who would make this kind of demand is also the God who will supply what is required for the demand. Put another way, the God who will test you is the God who will give you a way out of the test. Paul put it this way, he said, God has not tested you beyond what you can stand. And you need to know, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, that God will always provide you a way out of the temptation. But if you don't walk with God and you don't obey, you will never discover that truth. Understand, Indiana Jones is coming back again after, what, 25 years um, this summer. But it will be hard to top the scene in the last Indiana Jones movie. He must get to where the Holy Grail is in order to save his father's life. And he comes up on a chasm. And this, he's stepping on um, a statue of a lion's head. And, and on the other side is the cave where he needs to go, but there's no bridge. And he remembers the words that he has learned, which say something to this effect. Only with a leap from the lion's head will you prove your worth. So he thinks about it. And without completely understanding, he goes ahead and takes the leap from the lion's head. And you'll remember, then a bridge appears. The way appears. A way out is provided as he leaves. I think that's part of what Abraham teaches us. That if we obey first, the understanding and the provision will follow. I'm sitting there scratching my head asking the questions. And Abraham is busy getting on with obeying God, what God has called him to do. So it teaches me a couple things I thought I'd share with you. And the first one is this, that it could be that I need to give up my search for a reasonable God. I may need to give up my search for a God who always wants to do what I want to do and do it the way I want to do it. I remember being a, an intern in my, and looking in my mentor's library, and I pulled a book off the shelf called Understanding God. And I showed him to him. I said, what about this book? And his response was, I didn't understand it. I laughed. And then he said to me, you know, David, if God ever got to the point where I could completely understand God, then God would not be God. There's a part of God that is beyond our reasonableness. There's a part of God that's beyond our expectations. But always better. But others. So I'm learning that maybe I need to let go of making God in my image and just accept the God I have and follow that God obediently wherever that may lead. And the second thing I'm learning is this. Maybe I'm better served spending less time and energy trying to control other people in my life and control the events of the world and instead put that time and energy to just trying to live faithfully in whatever situation or events I find myself in. I don't know why I'm totally weak and I lost my voice. I don't understand why a lot of things happen the way they do, but rather than trying to control them and arrange them, I have to walk faithfully and fearlessly into them. After obedience will come away. After obedience will come one day an understanding. Abraham makes a three days journey up Mount Moriah. As you may know, Mount Moriah is where Solomon would later be, build the temple in Jerusalem. And it's where the Dome of the Rock stands today. Not too far from Mount Moriah is Calvary. And that is where the very thing that God ended up not really asking of Abraham God will do himself. God will give God's son, God's one and only son, 
whom God truly loves and offer him there on that mountain as a sacrifice. And then a stone's throw from Mount Moriah is another place we call the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in that garden, Jesus is tested. Like Abraham, he's asked to give up his future. He's asked to give up all that has come before and maybe all that will follow. But like Abraham, he too passes the test. And he teaches us that the tests of faith are never, ever passed with your brain. They are always passed with your heart.